Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Uh, So last week we started our There Is Still Time series, and we're going to continue that today. And um, we're really excited about what God is doing in and through this series. So how many of you have ever seen one of these? Okay, so they're called hourglasses. Now they make a lot of different ones. Some of them are smaller, some are big. Like they have some that are like two or three, five minutes. Then they have ones that are bigger. And how much time do you think that they count for? One hour. An hourglass. So this one, my daughter said, Dad, what is that? I guess she had never seen one. But this one tracks roughly 16 minutes according to a stopwatch. So uh, when we look at this hourglass, we, we, we turn it over and the sand begins to fall from the top to the bottom. Now, they're built differently. They're, they're used to, if we know it tracks 16 minutes roughly of time, we know what we're getting. The one thing that we cannot control about this hourglass is how much sand is on the inside. Now we have to know life is like that also. We can know how, how many of you know how old you are today? I'd have to kind of, you know, but we know how much time we have spent, right? What we do not know is how much time is on the other side of now. We can't guarantee that we will be here for just as much time as we've already been here, right? You know, we don't know the granules of sand in our life or what God has predetermined or how much time we have. The only thing we have control of is knowing how much time we've spent And we are hopeful that there is still time to spend on the other side. But Psalms 139, 16, it says, um, your eyes saw my unformed body. And it says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So we have to understand that we have a start date, which is what? When we're born. And there's an expiration date. Uh, And that's that's the end. That's when the last little piece of sand of our life is over. And nonetheless, God determines that. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. But don't don't get bummed out about when is it going to end. But what are you going to choose to do? What are you going to do with the time given between the start and the end of your life? That is the most important thing. That is the most important decision. That That is the thing that we have to answer the question to. Okay? So we can't get the time back, but what will you do with the time left? I'm going to share a story with you this morning real quick. It's about uh, the hero aboard the Titanic ship. So I'm just going to share that with you. The guy's name is John Harper. Have you ever, has anybody ever heard this story? It doesn't come to mind. This is going to be super powerful. So let me read it. It's going to take a minute, but I'm going to read it because I think it'll do it better justice. It was the night of April 14th, 1912, and the RMS Titanic sailed swiftly on the bitter cold ocean waters, heading unknowingly into the pages of history. On aboard this luxurious ocean liner, there was many rich and famous people. At the time of the ship's launch, it was the world's largest man-made movable object. At 11.40 p.m. on that fatal night, the iceberg scraped the the ship's starboard side, showering the decks with ice and ripping open six watertight compartments, and the sea began to pour in. On board the ship that night was John Harper. He was a godly pastor from Scotland and his much-beloved six-year-old daughter, Nana. 
As soon as it was apparent that the ship was going to sink, John Harper immediately took his daughter to a lifeboat. It is reasonable to assume that the widowed father could have easily gotten on board the boat to safety. However, this did not seem to ever cross his mind. He bent down and he kissed his precious little girl. Looking into her eyes, he told her that she would see him again someday. The flares going off on the dark sky above reflected tears on his face as he turned and headed towards the crowd of desperate humanity on the sinking ocean liner. As the rear of the huge ship began to lurch upward, it was reported that Harper had been seen making his way up and down the deck yelling, women, children, and those unsaved to the lifeboats. It was only a matter of minutes later that the Titanic began to rumble deep within. Most people thought it was an explosion, but the ship was literally breaking in half. At this point, many people jumped off the decks and into the icy dark waters below. John Harper was one of them, and that night, more than 1,500 people went into the frigid waters. John Harper was seen swimming frantically to the people in the water, leading them to Jesus before hyperthermia became fatal. Mr. Harper swam up to one young man who had climbed on a piece of debris, and he asked him between breaths, Are you saved? And the young man replied that he was not. So Harper tried to lead him to Christ, only to have the young man who was, under, who was near shock reply, No. Then John Harper took off his life jacket and he threw it to the young man and he said, then you will need this more than I will. So he swims off and a few moments later, he swims back to the young man and he succeeds in leading him to salvation. Of the 1,500 people aboard the, the ship, six were rescued by the lifeboats. One of these young men was the man floating on the debris. Four years later at a survivor's meeting, this young man stood up and in tears recounted how John Harper had led him to Christ. Mr. Harper tried to swim back to help other people, yet he could not because of the intense cold and he had grown too weak. But his last words before going under the frigid waters were, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The servant of God, he did what he had to do. While other people were trying to buy their way into the lifeboats and selfishly trying to save their own lives, John Harper gave up his life so that others could be saved. Have you ever really thought about what the greatest act of love is exemplified? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? Sometimes we may think maybe it's kind words, maybe it's a helpful gesture, but the Bible communicates even a clearer understanding of that word. John 15, 13, it says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. Now, John Harper gave his life away to save others, and Jesus did the same thing on the cross for you and I. It was the greatest model of love. John 10, 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and our sisters. So Jesus modeled the greatest love that someone could have for another person by willfully and faithfully laying down his life for ours. Now this morning we have to ask the question, why did he do that? 
Why was he willing to sacrifice his life for us? Jesus did this because of his great love for us. So the whole point of this message this morning is going to be, it's going to lead you to a place of choosing for yourself today, who are you going to serve? What are you going to do? Do you understand that Jesus has chosen you, but will you choose him today? It's up to you with how you respond to this. Last week, we looked at 1 Timothy 2.4, and it says, God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's all of us. That, that it's, it's, well, he wasn't selective. He didn't say, eh, I want these right here, but I don't want these. When God says all, he means all. Can you point to yourself just for a minute? That meant you. Amen. That meant me. That he loved each of us in this way. But Jesus chose you. Will you decide to choose him today? We have to understand that we will all serve someone or something with our lives. Right? Most of the times we live our lives serving who? Ourselves. What I want, when I want it, how I want it. There's, there's no focus on what does God want or what is God's perspective. But we will choose. But what we choose with that freedom is up to you. We're going to look at Joshua 24. 14 through 15, this is going to be our, uh, our core scripture. All right. Joshua 24, 14 through 15. It says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods, of your, the, the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Verse 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So that, that was the heartbeat of Joshua here. And we're going to look at this passage. We're going to break down this passage. But as we communicate this, I also want us to reflect on the passage that a John Harper from, from Acts 16.31. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So as we begin to talk about this, let's think about those things like, man, he's, he's fear the Lord, serve him with all faithfulness, throw away gods of our ancestors, you know, choosing this day who we're going to serve, what we're going to do. And then that commission of, but for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. So we're going to look at five requirements to choosing now. These are five requirements that you have to decide, that you have to do, that you're going to have to place your trust in. So number one, fear the Lord. That passage starts now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. The fear of the Lord, it's this holy reverence of who God is. It's, it's trusting that he's God, that you're not. Fear means that we take him serious rather than having a mere casual relationship. Uh, maybe just having him on the fringe of your life, not real close to you. Um, not, just maybe, not just having a relationship with God when it's convenient or things are going bad and it's like, oh God, I need you. But having a consistent relationship with him. Holy fear is reverence and awe towards the Lord because of who he is and who we are. It's really knowing who God is. I think a lot of times 
I think we're guilty of feeling like we have some, I guess we put God right here and then we're kind of close to him. There is no comparison to who God is versus who we are. Any merit, any goodness, any positional authority that you think you have is nowhere near God's authority and God's position. The holy reverence that we set aside just for him. But we have to say that, you know, he is God and I am mere flesh and bone created in the image of the creator. Right? So it's really saying God is everything and I'm nothing. God is greatly significant. And I mean, in my own eyes, I need to see myself as really insignificant in comparison to God. Is a statement that God really put in my heart this week. And hear, hear this, because it's really, there's a lot of wordage to it, but try to understand what it says. When we lose the fear of the Lord, we stop changing because we remove the holy reverence for God's instruction and replace our fear of the Lord with commonplace theology. So that's the first part of it. You know, when we lose reverence, we're not, oh, me and God, we're good. Like, that's your, like... I mean, he is to be honored and submitted to. And, but that holy reverence, when we remove that holy reverence, you know, it's kind of like, and, and we probably are, how many of you feel guilty where like we've maybe said, ah, God, God will be all right. He won't mind that that bad. And, and, and all the time, it still is a really, really big deal to God. And then that second part. So when this happens and we, re, we remove that, that positional of holy reverence authority, we live by what we think is right and wrong according to our own standards rather than God's standard. Because then I start compromising all these things. Well, it's okay. I'm better than Don. I'm doing a little bit better than Robert, so I must be okay. But we have to understand it's not based on human standard. It's based on God's standard. What is God's standard? Whatever's written in his word is in his standard. So when we have a fear of God, we care about what God says. We care about what God loves and we hate what God hates. And we make sure that whatever God says is, is the ultimate authority in our lives. But it's that fear of God that will lead us to a place of righteousness Right? How, how do I know that just loving God isn't enough? We love a lot of people and we still hurt them. Right? We love God all the time. And we still continue to sin or we make wrong choices. But when there's a fear of God. Now, I think probably we need a little bit more fear rather than just thinking, Oh, God's just good with that. He's going to hold us to the standard of what he has written and what his word says. Um, we have to, so we have to understand God loves you, but he also wants to make sure that we take serious the word that he has spoken. God is a merciful God, but he is also just. So what does that mean? God is merciful. And, and I think a lot of people think God's the bad guy. You know, I hear people say it all the time. We're like, why would God send people to hell? Okay, well, first and foremost... God's not, his goal is not to send people to hell. If anybody's sending anybody to hell, you're sending yourself to hell. Okay, so you, you got to know that. So, so what that looks like, um, 
And, and, and the whole choosing now matters because remember I said, we don't know how much time is left, how much time we have uh, before Jesus comes back or we breathe our last breath. But we have to understand that God is in the saving business. He came to seek us and he came to save us and he came to rescue us. And the, the, the goal is that we understand that and we find that before the time runs out. Because once the time runs out, guess what? It's over. Now, if you're paying attention to this, it's gone. Everybody's still with me. Nobody croaked over this morning, right? They're sleeping. This is a good time to nudge them. All right. So we still got the sand going in our lives. But what God is doing, he provides a way of escape. You know what it's like? It's how many, how many swimmers do we got in the room? How many people can't swim? It's a bad day for you, okay? All right. So the ones that, are swim, that can swim, you know what it's like? I think sometimes we think, how many of you know how to tread water? How many of you know if you tread water long enough, you're still going to get tired? So what happens, I feel like in our spiritual life, we're sitting there treading water and God shows up and he's kind of like, hey man, what are you doing? I got this, God. Just keeping your head above water. But what the cross was, it's really like he threw us a life preserver, rescuing us out of our position. But some of us are so mad. Why would God let people go to hell? And all of the time he threw the life preserver. But guess what? You have to grab a hold of that life preserver. I mean, I guess I could throw it around your head and pull your arm through and say, hold on to this joker, but that's not how it works. You have to choose to willfully grab a hold of that thing that God has used to rescue us. Just like that, that rescue device, he sent Jesus to the cross to save us so that we would not have to go to hell, that we would be saved from it. But many of us in our own strength are just sitting there doggy paddling, mile a minute. I call it doggy paddling. I ain't even treading water. It's looking sloppy what I'm doing in the water. But I'm just sitting there, sitting there. And if I don't reach out and I don't reach out for the cross, bloop, bloop, bloop to the bottom of the sea, I'm going to go. Because I'm going to come to the place of exhaustion. I'm going to come to the place of wearing out where I cannot make it on my own. But God has sent a rescuing device. He sent the person of Jesus to die on that cross for you and I so that we might be saved, so that we would not have to go to hell. And I, I, was, I was listening to this doc, documentary the other day and a, a gentleman abandoned his faith and his reasoning was he said, I'm, I have kids and I, I love them so much. I just don't understand how God could let anyone go to hell and just stopped right there. And I was like, oh man, you like totally derailed on your Christianity because you stopped so short of the cross. It's like reading the first page of the story, but there's five pages, right? Where it says, you know, the result of sin is death. But da, 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 the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. Right? Don't just stop and say God is a cruel, mean God. We have to see, when we talk about the fear of God, let me just pause on this just a little bit longer and then we'll move on. But the, the fear of God is, is knowing that God is serious and God cares about what he instructs. But it's also understanding that I can trust God that what he says is for my benefit. 
How many of you today, you've committed a sin that cost you more than you wanted to pay? Like when you really think about it, like, dude, that was a dumb decision, man. If I could go back and not make that decision. But most of the time, those poor decisions contradict the scripture, right? Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's not taking care of the temple of God. Whatever. It, is. it doesn't matter what it is. But anytime we violate God's instruction and it costs us a whole lot, we can't get mad at God and say, God, why did you let this happen to me? Right? We chose in something that was against God's word and it cost us dearly. Now, right now, if you don't have a relationship with God and you're in this room, you are treading water and you cannot make it on your own strength. You can't make it to heaven in your own strength. But God in his loving compassion doesn't want to send you to hell, but he's actually sent someone, Jesus, to save you and to rescue you from where you're at. But if we want to be prideful and arrogant, say, I got this coach, and you just keep swimming. All right, man. Like John Harper, he says, I'll swim a lap. I'll be back. Swam away and came back. And thank God that gentleman changed his mind. And he received that salvation. He came to his senses. He came to the point of realizing this is going to be hopeless without God. But if I live or if I die, as long as I make that decision prior to the sands of life not expiring, I know what will happen after this life. And that is the greatest love story of God, that he loves us. All right. So we got to know who God is. He's merciful. He doesn't want to punish us, but he is also just, which means he has to do what he says. But he's also provided a way out. All right. So we know that. Um, sin is going to lead to death, but Jesus is life, life eternal. That we, If we trust in him, it's like grabbing a hold of that life preserver um, that we'll be able to be saved. Amen. You got that? It has to be that holy fear of God. And then number two, get rid of other gods. That passage says, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. So these are idols. These are anything that replaces God. That's what you need to get rid of out of your life. Um, getting rid of these things that we have previously focused on in our lives. Um, tear down, get rid of these idols. So an idol isn't necessarily just like a statue that we set up, um, which someone bows down to. But an idol is any unauthorized person, place, or thing that a person looks to as a source of purpose, promise, or provision can be anything in our in our life so just kind of a list of examples it can be money it can be power it can be popularity it can be sex influence it can be another person and the list goes on and on and on it can be anything that I find confidence in anything that I'm in submission to that I'm laying my life down towards now in our old life we know that we were slaves to sin, but the Bible says that in our new life with Christ, we are now slaves to righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Right? So there should be things that change. There should be things that we're dealing with. We once were a slave to sin. Now we've become slaves to righteousness. Romans 6, 18. 
So when we talk about getting rid of other gods, getting rid of things in our life, I want us to pause just for a moment and look at your own life and ask this question, what do I need to get rid of? Now, a lot of times we become a Christian and we think that, man, I just keep carrying the same luggage and I just keep carrying it with me. And what God really calls us to do is leave those things behind. Those former things, leave them alone. That is part of your old nature, not part of your new nature. But are there still things that you are carrying, that you are dealing with, that your dependence is on? What is it in your life that you need to let go of? What is it that you need to release? What do you need to no longer allow to lord over your life? Anything that you depend on, right? I know um, nowadays it's such an interesting culture to where, you know, we'll almost follow anything. Like if you look at Facebook and all these, what do they say? Hey, how many followers do you have? Right? With this whole culture of influencers. You know what I'm talking about? You have people, that's their job. I'm, I'm a professional influencer. Well, we have to be careful what we are following and what is influencing us. Because those things that we follow, whatever addiction, whatever habit, if you are continually doing those things, they are lording over your life and you're held in bondage to those things. How do I know this is true? You ever try stopping and you don't stop? You ever tried quitting and you don't quit? Well, you know, brother, I'm doing better than I was. I'm talking about severing ties from that where that's no longer part of your identity. But those things that you are following, perhaps you are addicted or it's an idol in your life that needs to be getting rid of. So how do I do that, pastor? You allow God to sit on the throne of your heart and not share that with anyone or anything or any habit. And we ask God to change those things that we can't change. To adjust those things that we can't adjust that are bigger than us. But anything that's lording over you, anything that you keep going back to, when you're having a bad day, how do you respond? Well, this, it ain't hurting nobody, is it? Well, nobody knows about it. How are we responding when we're going through difficult things? Anything that is not a response to God is probably a dependence or an idol or something that needs to be thrown and removed from your life. All right. So we want to get rid of these other gods. We want to get rid of these idols. Um, God really is the source and he can meet the needs and he can do the work to provide that spiritual breakthrough that we need. All right. So get rid of those, those, those things. Number three, serve the Lord. Okay. So it, it says, choose this day, get rid of these idols, throw away these things. Um, if, the, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, well, then choose who you're going to serve. So that, that's one thing this morning that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the opportunity. Choose what you want to choose. Now, it, it's not really rocket science. It's like you can choose yourself and you can choose the plan of the enemy. And it's going to kill, steal, and destroy. It's going to rob from you. And the end is not going to end well for you today. Or I can convince you, convince you to try Jesus. I don't know. Like, I mean, if you've never thought, I know that that seems super simple and oversimplified, but that's the kind of God we serve because guess what? If it was complicated, we wouldn't get it. It's stupid, simple, and we sometimes don't get it. 
Right? Been there, done that? Like, you're like, oh, I got this. Yeah, good luck. Blue, 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 bottom of the ocean. Right? You ain't got it. You might got it right now, but later you're going to be asking for help. Brother, I almost died. What, you grab the life preserver? Did you hold on to Jesus? No, bro, I thought I had it. Come on. We don't got it. We can't do it apart from Jesus. So we have, we have to choose. We have to, we have to serve the Lord. Um, now, this is loving what he loves, hating what he hates. Uh, this is transferring our trust and life to him. So this is more than just believing uh, that there is a God. This is having the heart to worship and serve the Lord. That, that is, this is why I live, God. I live to worship and serve you and you alone. That, that's what serving the Lord looks like. James 2.19, this is a passage that has always caught my attention. It says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons, or the demons believe that and shudder. It's like, what? Like, I didn't think they believed in God. No, they believe in God. They don't serve God. They don't follow God. They acknowledge his existence and that he is real, but they are not people, they are not... Um, Spirit beings or demonic beings that serve God. So don't just believe, but serve God. I hear people all the time say, oh, I believe in God. But their fruit of their life does not bear witness because they are not God followers. So pastor, you mean somebody can believe in God and still go to hell? Absolutely. The demons believe in God kind of scurry and, and shake at, at his name and at his existence. They believe in him, but they don't follow or they don't choose to, to pursue. They don't serve the Lord. They serve, they serve the devil and they got kicked out of heaven for it. Like you got to understand the contrast here. So serving the Lord, this is a life surrender to him. How are we to serve him? It says with all faithfulness. That is with devotion. That's with consistency. That's with loyalty. That's saying, God, you are God and I am not. It's trusting God and who he is and what he's doing. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, hey, just believe in me. What did he say? Follow me. Now, I know a lot of us get really bummed out because we feel like we haven't really been moving forward quickly with God. But I tell you what, if you'll keep taking one step after one step after one step after amount of time, you'll have progress. Um, you know, I had a chance to encourage a brother this weekend. I said, man, just keep taking a step at a time. Don't let nobody bust you up for taking a step at a time. Because if I start right here and every single day I take a step in about 45 days, I'll be at that back door. But I tell you what, 45 days down the road, I'd rather be at that door than right here where I started. Amen. We have a lot of people that come to the knowledge of Jesus and they give their lives to him. Uh, and I feel like God's like, hey, come follow me. And we're like, nah, I'm good. I'm this side of hell. I'm like on the heaven side and I'm not on the hell side, but I'm not really following. What God really calls us to is serving him. It's following him. It's pursuing after him. Amen. All right, so we got to serve the Lord. Number four, choose now who you will serve. So this is actually choosing, making a choice, and choosing today preferably. Um, do you realize today that you have a choice? 
You know, I think a lot of people think, well, God will just tell you what to do. He'll make you do whatever he wants you to do. How many of you would love a relationship with somebody else that you made them do what you wanted them to do instead of allowing them to choose what they want to do? It's way better when they choose to love you. But that's part of God's free will. The sand ran out again that fast. What if our hearts stopped right now? Are we ready? Have we chosen? Let me give you one more chance. I'm going to finish before this one runs out. Hey, they like this clock. They'd be like, this guy's going to get done. Maybe he'll start preaching as fast as his wife. All right. That girl's way too short, making me look bad today, but it's all right. I'll tell you what you need to hear, and then I'll wrap it up. All right. So choose now. Um, but because God is a relational God, he wants you to choose him, but he's already chosen you. You are his spotless bride and he loves you just as much where you are right now, not just when you're good down the road. You know, it says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I think about the love that God had for us through sending Jesus and I think of the agony of the cross and, you know, understanding how much he loves me and that he has chosen me makes me want to choose him back. You know, that, that I can trust him. How many of you have trusted friends that have done you wrong? And you put trust in them jokers, right? Why would we not trust God who is trustworthy? Amen. You know, I, I, a lot of people, you know, I hear them say, well, God did me wrong. I said, you probably had a bad perspective. Because that is not who God is. Most of the time, the things that happen, guess what? We did that thing to ourselves. It wasn't God. We just, it was choices or decisions made, whatever. Well, Lord, where were you at? It's like, I was right here, man. You were listening to me. God and that problem on your own, right? You know, so we have to choose God. He's already chosen us. He loves us. You know, I think about as he was on that cross, there's a moment in that story that it says that, you know, he was on that cross and there's a moment of where he screams out and he says, God, why have you forsaken me? And this is the hardest part of the cross because throughout the whole time that Jesus was suffering, Father God was with him. But there was a moment where God had to physically, visually turn away from his son and the spirit departed. And he turned away from Jesus once so that he would never have to turn his back on us. Jesus took and bore all of the sin, all of the shame, all of the rejection from God so that we would be loved and accepted and welcomed into his arms of love. But that's the kind of God that is worthy of my trust, that is worthy of my life, that is worth hoping in. It requires you to make a choice today. Don't worry about the future. Just worry about today. If you'll get your relationship right with God today, tomorrow worry about its own. But where is your standing with God today? Have you chosen him? Have you, have you decided to follow him? What are you going to do with Jesus? Do you believe that if you call on his name today that you will be saved? So we want to choose now who you will serve. This last part, number five, men lead your households. That's what I'm going to tell you. Men lead your households. Um, 
Joshua, he says those powerful words. It says, you know, but for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua took authority over his home. Um, Those that that he was responsible for, he was standing boldly and courageously. um, But he took that authority over his family. He was talking to everybody else said, okay, I don't know what y'all are doing, but here's what I'm doing. For me and my home, we will serve the Lord. Now, I know a lot of times, sometimes that home is backwards. Men, I hope you came to church today because you choose to come to church, not that your wife was dragging your butt to church. Now, you got a redemptive move right now that you can make. doesn't have to keep being that way. This morning, I hope that as, as I talk about this, so that think about this, that there was something that rose up in Joshua to stand and be bold, and he was being courageous. And I got a question for you this morning. Where are the mighty men this morning? Where are the mighty men? Are you here in this room, ones that are going to be passionate, ones that are going to stand boldly, the ones that are going to say, for me and my home, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're going to church. I'm really going to make you go to church, but we're going to go. How many men of God in this room have that spirit of Joshua inside of them. Now, I want to challenge you this morning to do something bold and courageous. I believe that the spirit of God is already kind of churning that in you. It's probably deep down if you've never fully released that in your life. But today, you are choosing and you'll say, you know what? I will be that mighty man that will be bold and courageous. And for me and my home, we will serve the Lord. If I got many of those mighty men in the room this morning, can you please stand to your feet? Now, don't fake it because your wife is going to call you on it if you're like, I'll just play it. Pastor made me stand up. But I'm saying if we got mighty men in the room, they said, for me and my household, for me and my children's children, we are going to serve the Lord and take authority of that. Keep standing up just for a minute. That I will stand and I will be bold. And me and my household, we will be saved. Can I get all of you to stand up with me? You're going to close up. Choosing now whom you will serve is one decision that really is a pastor I know is the most critical decision. But it's that one decision that changes everything. So today, what will you choose? Who will you choose to follow? You follow God? You put your faith in Jesus today and commit to follow him all the days of your life? Or will you pursue all of the other things of the world hoping to find something that will never really ever satisfy? If I get some of our prayer team to come forward. So I believe there's probably maybe two people, two, two different groups of people in the room. Maybe today if you say, Pastor, my relationship with the Lord, I trust him and I put my faith in him. But me and God, we're not good right now. But I want to change that. To serve God with all diligence. Like the kingdom of God really depended on it. And I'm going to come closer to God today. That's the first group. And as I pray over you, I want you to come forward and get some ministry from this people. Just get them to agree with you. Just say, man, I just want my relationship with the Lord to be better than it's ever been. And they'll pray with you and agree with that. And guess what? 
I believe something will happen. Because God is right here ready to redeem all of those things that we've messed up. The second one's in the room. Maybe you've never really chosen God. Maybe you've come to church because you just thought that's how you got to heaven. I'll just keep showing up. Maybe you'll let me in. The only way in is through Jesus. Believing on the cross, believing that he died for you, and just not that he died, but he raised from the dead, and now he's sitting at the right hand of God. And if we will ask, God will so graciously send us that free gift of salvation. And you know what's going to happen when we get to heaven? You know how why we're you know why we're going to be let in? Is because some of us will be marked by the blood of the Lamb, but other of us won't. And when God looks at us, he's not going to see all our guilt and our shame. He's going to see the blood of Jesus that covers all of the sin. And that's how we get in. That's why Jesus is the gate. He's the only way to get in is through the blood of the lamb. And then I believe that as we enter in and as we begin to serve the Lord, then we get the other side of that passage. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And then we have a word of testimony because of what God has done. Amen. Let me pray for you. And if that's, if you meet either of that criteria this morning, I want you to come up, come quickly and just let God do what he wants to do. Okay. Lord, I thank you for your goodness this morning. God, I thank you for your presence in this place. Father God, I pray that you would draw the hearts of your people to you. Father, if we've been far, we've been distant. Father, forgive us and we return to your house today. Father, if there's any in the room that don't know you and you're knocking on their heart today and you're opening up and encouraging them to come close, that today would be the day that they would come to know you. Father, that they wouldn't only be believers of God, but they'd be followers of God. That we would accomplish all of those things that you're doing in and through us. Lord, I thank you for Jesus and I thank you for salvation. Lord, where would we be if it wasn't for the cross? Father, I thank you that that even today, God, you're depositing seeds of faith in the hearts of your people. Father, that even in the hearts of people in the room and maybe people that will hear the stream. Father, just a a seed of salvation. Father, that this would be the day that even today that heaven would become a little fuller. (laughs) And our brothers and sisters would be welcomed into the family of God. Father, we thank you for what you're doing, seen and unseen. Father, that you love us so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.